you know, that had me thinking, should we have a should we should we have a theme song for the episodes? Start we're, spreading the news. I don't know if we can use that though. We're gonna get we're gonna get shut down. How are we doing, guys? A lot of things went down this past week. Final four is right around the corner. We know three of the four teams, Baylor, Houston, and just now Gonzaga is in the final four. Michigan, UCLA still have to play. Uh, NBA trade deadline went down. A lot of buyouts, a lot of trades. Definitely going to get into a lot of that. And my favorite time of the year, opening day, is two days away, boys. It's been over a year and a half since we could attend the game. It's finally here. We are finally able to go back. I'm so excited. But nonetheless, final four just around the corner. What do you guys think about where we're at in the tournament right now? Well, I'll start here. Um, so this tournament, right, like it's obviously every tournament is characterized by upsets. But as we're looking right now, we got three of the final four. You got number one, Gonzaga. You got number one, Baylor. You got number two, Houston. And, I mean, if things go according to plan, we're going to have number one, Michigan in it. I mean, I don't know. UCLA's had a lot of heart the whole tournament. I thought Alabama was going to beat them, but UCLA – they prevailed in that game. Who knows? Maybe they win this game. But I think what's interesting is that all those teams, um, like in Oregon State, um, you know, a couple other ones, they they got far in the tournament. But at the end of the day, it's always the top seeds that come out in the Final Four. Um, I, I'm sure we're going to get to this, but Gonzaga's just looked so much better than everyone else. It's hard to see anyone else winning right now. But, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? I could I couldn't agree more. Uh, they're they, I've never seen a team who's e- even a team that's undefeated just absolutely demolish every team in front of them in the tournament on their way to the Final Four. Every single one of their games, double digit win, and it, it, I don't know if that's really going to change. This team is just does it all. They can shoot, they can drive, they can pass, they can rebound. There's really no weakness on this team. And I know in years past, people say like you know Gonzaga, they got a bunch of seniors. You know they're kind of within their own system, they don't really have any flashiness. And, you know, once they play a team that could kind of go to go toe to toe with the toe with them, they kind of bow out of the tournament. But I think now they, with Jalen Suggs and all these other guys they have with the experience, I think it's a good combination. And I just think I, I, I can't see them not going all the way right now. And they're going to have an undefeated year, which is definitely something to re, uh, really embark on. Yeah. I'm going to agree. Uh, like on a retrospect, I think Baylor's been playing really good basketball, but watching Gonzaga, what they did to USC today, and I was very high on USC. I thought USC actually had a chance to beat this team, like looking at the bracket if they met up. And I thought that maybe if they chased their guys off the three-point line and Evan Mobley's in the center to defend, I thought that this was going to be good. And then Gonzaga's big man, Timmy or whatever his last name is, he put up like 20 today against – Evan, like, obviously he wasn't man-on-man with Evan Mobley for most of the game. They go zone, but still, they just, like, they read the zone. And USC looked good against Oregon, too. Like, what was that, two days ago now? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. this was – USC was a team that looked really good, like, had promise, and they just ran into a Gonzaga. And I think this game really stands out from all the other games Gonzaga's played. You could be like, oh, yeah, well, they played, a, like, an okay team in Oklahoma – in what was at the round of 32 their sweet 16 game wasn't as that that competitive they they, they i don't think there's this this gonzaga team's just amazing thank you dude still i'm, I'm getting speechless no i'm just I got speechless you. i got you i got uh, a good word to describe that team 
juggernaut, bro, because they are like absolutely they they played that game against Creighton uh, in the Sweet Sixteen. And I thought I thought Creighton came out in that game and they were playing well in the beginning. And the same thing with Oklahoma when I watched that first half. I thought Oklahoma was playing pretty well in the beginning of that game. And meanwhile, both games Gonzaga was up ten at half, or they were up double digits at half. It was just like it's just like they kind of take your best punch and they're still leading after the best punch. And I mean, like you said, Keith, I think Baylor's been playing well too. Uh, I don't know if our viewers remember, but I picked Baylor to win the bracket. Uh, I think Keith, you said you have them in another bracket too. Um, I, I thought the thing about Baylor that really impressed me was I'm trying to remember what game it was that they played that they shot. They shot like they made three threes the whole game. Do you, you remember which game I'm talking about, Sal? Uh, it wasn't. That was around the thirty-two, against, wasn't it? Against Villanova. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Against Nova, um, they shot the three ball horrible in that game, and they still ended up winning. I mean, they have three guards um that are capable of taking over the game, and their defense is amazing. And even with their biggest strength, which was three point shooting, without it in that game, they they ended up winning. So I think that a Baylor-Gonzaga final is going to be really, really intriguing. I think, I think it's going to be a good game. But like we said, I think Gonzaga is just way too much. Uh, I have a follow-up yeah. question for you guys. Oh, Keith, do you want to say something? Yeah, I just want to drop this. Uh, in the second half today, um, USC had Gonzaga on a near four-minute scoring drought, and they were still up 11. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. It, it was, like, ridiculous. They like USC was getting stops, but Gonzaga on the defensive end did enough where it was like you can't like take this lead. Gonzaga never gave up the lead the whole game. It was like once they get out, if you don't jump on them right away, it's like okay, we're rolling. They beat you so many different ways. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my my question for you guys is obviously now we're getting to the final four. Um, do you guys have a favorite story from this tournament? I think one thing I'll remember is. Probably this this Oral Roberts run. I the I, I mean they they came up short against Arkansas. That was a really good game. It came out to the last shot, and I I really thought that shot was going to go in and they were they were going to be on their way. But you know, still I I like I said I never heard of Oral Roberts until like right before the tournament, and they played their hearts out. They were very competitive. Uh, really again, they could have beaten that Arkansas team, but. I think it's definitely one thing I'll remember for sure because that's a team that just put themselves on the map, and I don't think anybody heard of them. Like, I, I follow college basketball a decent amount, and I, I never heard of this team until, like, right before the tournament, and they really put themselves on the map and made some noise. Um, For me, the Oral Roberts story is definitely the highlight of the tournament, but UCLA went was a first four team, and they have a chance to make the final four. They, they would be the first first four team to make the final four. No, in, uh, didn't VCU also do no, it? No, VCU made the Elite Eight. No, 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 no. I think VCU made the Final Four. I got to fact check this. Hmm. I think I know in that, 2011 I, they made the Final Four. Hmm. I know that VCU was the only team to make the Elite Eight. I thought they lost in the Elite Eight. Another thing, too, while Joe uh, checks fact this checks out, me. Seeing, seeing how well the Pac-12 did in this tournament, and that's a, that's a conference that not many people were high yeah. on. They had quite a few teams in the tournament, but – that's a conference that really showed out. And, you know, Oregon State, a team that a lot of people thought was mediocre, they got hot at the right time. They won the Pac-12, and they carried that all the way to the Elite Eight. And then you have teams like Oregon and USC who had good runs. Colorado, a team that kind of came onto the scene this year. They were a five seed. They won a, they won a game in the tournament. 
So I, I, I would say definitely the Pac-12 overachieved, but certainly a good story because this is a conference that not many people, including myself, really thought would do much in this tournament. Yeah, Sal, I agree with you there. I, the the um, Big Ten was supposed to be the conference that took out yeah. over the tournament, and it was – just such a surprise to see the Pac-12 do it. But uh, by the way, yeah, they did. Jack, yeah, did I have Pac-12 myself. Four. But um, I don't know. I couldn't find who they lost to. That was the year that Butler played UConn in the, in the finals. I don't know which team they lost to. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. I was just wondering. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah was... so UCLA is looking to be the second team to do that. And that's just in itself an achievement. So that's the story. Like, Sound, you brought up Oregon State. Oregon State was 12th ranked in like their preseason rankings in their conference. Mm -hmm. They were the lowest seed in their conference tournament. They won one the conference tournament and then they ran into the Sweet 16. And they looked like they had a puncher's chance even in the Sweet Sweet 16 game for a little bit. I'm getting twisted up on my words today. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys brought up some some good storylines. Um, but we'll definitely get more uh talk about it more next week. We'll have the final four set. Um, I think, what is it by the, are they playing this, these final is, is the championship game next Monday? Is that what it is? I know the final four is Saturday. Yeah. So I, I think they usually do the championship game Monday. I think so. Yeah. It's April 50th. Yeah. Okay. So next, so next week, when we, their Monday games. yeah. So next week when we talk about this, we'll have, we'll have the champion. We'll go over that quickly. Um, but I think that's pretty much it. We got for NCAA, right guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. We'll move on to basketball now, and we haven't really spoke much about basketball. Um, but a couple of things happened. We had the trade deadline. We had the buyout market. Um, we'll start with the buyout market because it's pretty short and sweet. Two teams made moves. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. There might be people uh, teams on a lesser scale, but I can't really think off the top of my head right now. But the Lakers got Andre Drummond, and the Nets got LaMarcus Aldridge. We already knew about Blake Griffin. Um one thing about this, though, is I saw like a bunch of teams are complaining that the buyout market is basically set up for the, you know, for the bigger franchises to succeed. Um, I mean, I guess I don't really care because the Lakers are the ones succeeding, but I think that's an interesting storyline. Who do you guys think won the buyout market, the Lakers or the Nets? Mm-hmm. You know what? We you know what? Hold on. Let me ask Sal first. Sal, who do you think? Yeah, I want Sal to jump in on this. I'm gonna have to go with the Lakers, and not to knock the Nets' moves because you know Marcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin. I'm not gonna sit here and say they won't help the Nets. Definitely provide some depth. Definitely provide some experience. But I think the Lakers being out with LeBron and Davis not on the floor, adding in a guy like Drummond. I know he may not provide impact analytically, or or if you're into that stuff, but. It's just another solid body to have on the floor. He's going to grab rebounds. He's going to score. Uh, and it's just another piece to kind of take off the load on the rest of the team as the Lakers eventually try and gear up for a playoff run. And I just think, you know, having him, it kind of eases some tension without LeBron and Davis because I know there's definitely some concerns how the rest of the season will go without them. But definitely solid moves by both the Lakers and the Nets this uh, trade deadline in the buyout market. But, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see what happens as far as how much of an impact they're both going to have because I'm pretty sure Aldridge and, and Griffin has Griffin's already been coming off the bench, but I definitely can see, I mean, I would, I would be shocked if Drummond doesn't start for the Lakers, but I would, I would love to see what happens there with Drummond and then LeBron and Davis all together on the floor at the same time. 
they did. Uh, they announced that Drummond will be starting in his first game uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He's playing. Um, Keith, my question for you is, who do you think makes the bigger uh, difference on the Nets, Aldridge or Griffin? Uh, I, I've seen Blake Griffin play, so I'm going to go with Blake Griffin. I feel like he's a little more mobile. He can fit into the switching style defense that they go with a little better. But apparently the Nets are high on the Marcus Aldridge. Steve Nash said they're giving him a chance to be the starting center over DeAndre Jordan. Are they actually? Wow. Yep. Oh, I didn't and know if- that. They're going to give him the chance to compete for it. So if that's the case, then the Nets see something that maybe I'm not seeing. Uh, De- I, I just think LaMarcus Aldridge looks a lot like DeAndre Jordan uh, when it comes to on the defensive end. Neither of them are that mobile. They're, it's going to be the same issue, I think, defensively against the switch. Um, my allegiance still stands with Nick Claxton as the starting center by the end of the year, but that's not going to happen. So... I'm I'm excited to see, but Joe, I'm gonna just throw this out there. Andre Drummond was the better move than the Lakers. Marcus all experiment didn't work out the way they wanted it to. God, so it they didn't went work out, out at all. It mm-hmm. went out. They went out and they got the best big man on the market, and that was Andre Drummond. And I didn't see. I I know there was a lot of rumors like really early, like right after, pretty much right after the James Harden trade, the Nets the Nets were linked to Drummond, but. When he got when he got bought out, it was like the Nets got Aldridge and said, "We're we're good. We don't want to even think about Drummond." So, I don't know. Um, if you want, I can go further in this. But Joe, I know you want to give your opinion first, so I'll jump. Yeah, in after. I mean, before we just get to the trades and stuff, um, I I might be a little biased, but I definitely think Drummond's a better move. I think that the Nets, instead of getting Griffin and Aldridge. They should have went after Drummond just because I think that the Nets, even though Drummond's not the best rim protector, he's definitely a better rim protector than Aldridge or Griffin. Um, I think that's really what the Nets were lacking. I hate to see like people, people like complaining about how they get Griffin and Aldridge. Like to be fair, Griffin, I think could still be a very impactful player, but I think that Aldridge, like, I don't, I'm just going to say one. I don't think, I don't think LaMarcus Aldridge is good anymore. Like I don't he he's a post up player. I don't really think he's gonna get the chance to post up on the Nets. And he's he's never been a good defender. So he's not even a good defend he's definitely not a good defender right now. I think that at least DeAndre Jordan provides a little bit of rim protection, which is more than Lamarcus Aldridge is gonna give you. So I would probably keep Jordan in the starting line if I was the Nets. Um for me, the thing with Lamarcus Aldridge is he can still score. If he's open, and I've seen it all year with how James Harden works the pick and roll, the pick and pop with guys like Jeff Green. If you put LaMarcus Aldridge as a screen setter and a James Harden pick and pop, he's going to get some open shots. I it, I think that if in my head, it just is going to remind me of like Brooke Lopez when he started taking those deep mid ranges, and it's just <laughs> going to be like, oh, we're back in 2014. Well, I think – you know what I think of when you say that, Keith? I think of, like, when Kevin Garnett, like, back in the day, he would, like, pull from the top of the key, yeah. like, mid-range. Like, I could see James Harden and, and LaMarcus Aldridge if, on, like, the if pick that's, If that's the pick and pop, it might work out. I mean, how was it? Like, two, one, two years ago, LaMarcus Aldridge put up 42. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, those, those days of him are gone. He's, he's like, a 12, 14 points max, I would say. Same thing with Blake Griffin. I mean, the yeah, yeah go ahead, Keith. I mean, I, I was, the, I was just, yeah, good. The reaction is just 
the reaction from like the NBA in general is just like, oh, the Nets are stacked up. No, the Nets are not stacked up. The Nets got two guys that are way past their prime. Blake Griffin can barely grab the rim anymore, it seems. And Lamarcus Aldridge, even if you let him post up, is I don't. It, 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 I might as well not. I might as well not let him post up if I'm going to let him post up at this point. I mean, honestly, though, like I mean, this is kind of just what like teams who are in the championship hunt do. Like they they add they add up on these types of players down the stretch, guys with experience, guys who they think or at least hope can have some sort of impact, whether it be on the court or just through like their knowledge of the game, they can help out other players on the team. But speaking of which, there is another team that made a move that definitely is in the title. They made a big move, a veteran, a guy that I think that they needed. It's a guy that I said months before the season that they should have gotten. And one of us here is certainly not happy about this move. So wait, Sal, 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 before you introduce it, we were talking about Jeff Teague to the Bucks, right? (laughs) Sal, I think I think you uh, I think you said it on the show, didn't you? I, I you'll have to roll back the 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 tape on that, but uh, Rajon Rondo, I... Rajon Rondo is a Los Angeles Clipper. Uh, that I, hurts. I, I see Joe over there. Yeah. He's well, he's cringing. Right, he may think Rajon Rondo knows all the Lakers plays. He's he's the IQ guy. He's just gonna pick the Lakers apart. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, Joe, how worried are you about this move for the Lake for for the Clippers? Sorry. Um, I mean, I definitely think it makes them a better team. Uh, we'll see now, though, because we were giving them, you know, me and Keith were talking about it, uh, saying that the Clippers didn't really fix their point guard problem, and that's why they were kind of struggling the past couple months. Um, but now that they have Rondo in the fold, it should really help things out for them. And I'm not going to lie to you, you guys know all of last playoffs, I said that Rajon Rondo was the Lakers' third best player. And like I meant it, like he was their third best player, and I don't think it was close. So, so, so is he the Clippers' third best player? Yes, yes. You think yes. he's better than Marcus Morris? Yep. Okay. I think he, like playoff wise, I think that he's going to be their third best. Ah, uh, yes, sure. playoff Rondo, the real thing. I'm t- yeah, I'm dead serious. I, I, it is a real I, thing. A real I mean, thing, I though. I witnessed it last year. Yeah, I'm telling you. If if Rondo goes off again in the playoffs. It's more. It's even more proven than last year because Rondo's like at, he's averaging like what three, four points a game, and yeah. then once the playoffs come, he'll probably. I mean, I, I assume like I don't know. Like he might probably will start in the playoffs. I mean, I don't, I like him a lot more than Patrick Beverly, but he's gonna go from three, four points of maybe like 10, 11 points a game, a ton of assists, and just a ton of like big plays down the stretch, end of games, clutch moments. Yeah, I, I think this is the playmaker that the Clippers needed big time. And the, I think the most underrated thing is that he's going to get the ball to Kawhi and Paul George yep. in their spots. So yep. that's going to be a huge deal for them. Um, I definitely think it helps their shot at the finals. I mean, I still think it's Lakers-Nets, but I guess we'll see, barring health for the Lakers, um, definitely gives them a better chance. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to jump in here and talk about competition with the Lakers, we're going to jump into the next trade made by a Western Conference powerhouse. I don't know if you want to call them that. And it's the Denver Nuggets had traded for Aaron Gordon. And this is the first of many moves we'll talk about by the Magic. And the Magic did do what Joe wanted them to do and sell, 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 because they are not a playoff team. And if they are, they're an eight seed. So, Joe, I know you're happy that the Magic sold, but are you happy that Aaron Gordon's a Nugget? I am. 
I've been sa- I've been saying for a while that the Magic should sell. Like I've I feel like I've been saying this for a couple of years now. Um, but I mean I don't think uh, like Aaron Gordon's a good player. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I don't think he moves the needle that much for them. Um, I think that he'll definitely help. But what does this mean for Michael Porter Jr.? That kind of that came to my head right away when I when I heard that they made this trade. Um, but yeah, I'm not scared of the Nuggets or anything like that. Uh, it definitely makes them a little better. Though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think definitely the Nuggets may have slightly overpaid. I don't think it's a big deal for a team like the Nuggets just because they have a ton of assets, more than maybe most teams, if not all the teams in the league, and they have financial flexibility coming up. So I think, you know, getting Gordon will probably help them for this playoff run. I agree with Joe on the fact that it doesn't necessarily move the needle as far as moving them into that Clippers, Lakers, and even if you want to go on the other side, that Nets tier, I'll still say they're in that tier two kind of, of, of teams, I would say, that are vying for the championship this year. But, you know, not a terrible trade. Aaron Gordon's a good player, not a great player. And then the I, other – oh, go ahead, Keith. I, I think that Aaron Gordon is pretty much just a Jeremy Grant re- replacement who's yeah, a, a little point. better on offense, I'd say, but not as good on defense. Yeah, that's probably that's probably a fair point. It, I mean, I think that they realized how much they missed Jeremy Grant, and they yeah. went out there and they were like, "We'll do this." And me and Sal, are, I know we both made our pre our prediction that Bull Bull would be a uh, rookie of the year kind of guy, and uh, <laughs> uh, he hasn't even gotten real minutes. So I don't understand. I don't understand that. He he drained some threes last time. <laughs> last time he played. I know they just don't give him a chance. But anyway, um. The other two trades that the Magic made, uh, one of them we don't even really have to talk about because Danny Ainge didn't. Hey, I, I just don't Danny understand. Ainge, I, Danny Ainge was very close <laughs> to getting Michael Jordan to come out of retirement. Very close to getting Andre Drummond to sign. Very close to getting Nikola Vucevic. I just don't understand. Very close to being a good GM. You have you have that trade exception just sit if they don't like i said this at the trade i, I said it about the trade deadline but if they don't do anything in the offseason this year i mean the team is i mean i'm not going to be dramatic and say that they're crumbling because they still have jason tatum and jalen brown but all they did at the trade deadline was trade for Evan fournier for two second round picks um like like i said it's not a bad move but with that team struggling that much, they definitely should have done something better. But we don't need we don't even need to go over that. Who cares about the Celtics? We'll go into the Nikola Vucevic trade um, to the Bulls, which I thought was very surprising. I mean, I, I kind of came out of nowhere just because, like, why are the Bulls getting Nikola Vucevic? But the trade was uh, Nikola Vucevic for two first-rounders, Wendell Carter and Otto Porter. Um, what do you guys think about it? I think it was a good trade for the value. I mean – Otto Porter has that inflated contract. People said he'd be a buyout candidate, but the Magic haven't bought him out, so we'll see what happens there. Wendell Carter, I, I don't know enough about him. I haven't looked into him, really. Uh, just seems like he didn't match the draft pick he was taken at. And, I mean, the first round what, – what was it? Like, second rounders, first rounders? What was it? A first rounder? Uh, two, two first rounders. Two first rounders. That might hurt the Bulls, but – I think this might have just been a thing to keep Zach Levine happy and keep him in Chicago. That's a good point. I don't think enough people are saying this, and I, I think it kind of needs to be said. I think the Magic are the biggest winners of the deadline, honestly. I agree. I mean, the hold they got for the players that they traded, I don't think they traded – like I said, they didn't trade any. Like, like Lokola Vucevic is a great player, but I wouldn't say he's 
you know, he's certainly not a superstar and Aaron Gordon's far from that as well. And the haul that they got for these players, three first round picks, two second round picks, guys with potential like RJ Hampton, Wendell Carter Jr. And even Gary Harris, who had his moments in Denver, that's an excellent haul for this deadline for the, for the Orlando Magic. And they finally realized that, you know, just being the eighth seed, you know, what is that really getting you? Now they finally blew it up. They can start fresh. They got young pieces. They got draft picks. Now they can finally build the right way. I, I think they had an excellent deadline, and that's why I think they're the biggest winners. I agree. I mean, they have a lot of young talent now in that front court, in that wing area with Gary Harris getting added in. They have R.J. Hampton, who I actually really like. They have Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz whenever he's healthy again. I, I think they actually could be like a, like a decent team in the rebuilding process now. Don't forget Cole Anthony, uh, Moy's own. Did mm. I not say him? No. Uh, I apologize. Okay. Last trade before we move on. Um, the losers about, of the the losers of the trade deadline. Yeah, we'll talk about the sad Rockets franchise real fast because mm-hmm. they got twenty games of Victor Oladipo for James Harden, and then they traded him for uh, what was it? It was for Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and not not even a pick, a pick swap they traded for. A pick swap that probably won't even convey. Yeah. So the um. That that whole that whole like James Harden trade just looks worse and worse. And yeah, like, it really does. I mean, they got like, unless well, it's like seven picks, but like all the picks are probably just not even going to be good. I mean, so. assuming like the next three years from Brooklyn isn't great, uh, you're not even going to get two of them because you want to keep your own pick if you're Houston. Then you get like a twenty, like a mid to late twenties pick, and unless Brooklyn crumbles. I, I don't think that that's going to happen, or at least I hope not. Unless they crumble as a franchise, th- those next few picks aren't going to be like what the Celtics got. There's yeah. so many ways you can say how the Houston Rockets lost this season, lost this deadline, lost this trade. You can even say how they traded for Oladipo because they didn't want Levert. They they get they get rid of Oladipo for basically nothing. And now Karis LeVert is actually, once he, he's back now, now he's actually putting up solid numbers for Indiana. And he's younger than Oladipo and not in a contract year. I, I, don't, oh. understand what, I don't understand what the Rockets are doing. I, this, reminds, unbelievable. this reminds me, um, the reason that they didn't keep Jared Allen, who went to the Cavs for Dante Exum and some other player who I can't think of, and a Bucks 20, 2022 first-round pick that probably wouldn't be good again, um, they didn't think he'd fit well with Christian Wood. And I'm like, is that really – like, you just didn't want to pay Jared Allen. Like, Jared Allen's looking at $100 million. Oladipo would have got a decent extension. He has more promise than what you treated him for. So this is a financial thing. It's like, what are you really doing down there, Houston? Is it is it th- is it that insane for me to say, like, the Houston Rockets not only died when James Harden left, like, they the, like, the impact of Daryl Morey leaving – might I won't say on the same level, but it might be very close to the level of James Harden also leaving the Rockets because you know they lost their best player and now they lost a guy who actually knew how to build a team, how to make a successful franchise, and now they look like the most dis I mean, dysfunctional team in the NBA. And trust me, I know how that feels. <laughs> how it feels uh, to do that. I'm not gonna lie; it's just you look at it, and Houston really just. Didn't get anything out of this. I don't even remember what they got for Russell Westbrook other than John Wall, who probably doesn't want to be there anymore either. DeMarcus Cousins' experiment didn't end well. 
Uh, it just all in all in all, it's like what I understand. I understand that the Rockets kind of got handcuffed with the Harden thing. It was like he wanted out. He kind of forced his way to Brooklyn, and the only other option was Philly, and Philly wasn't going to give them Ben Simmons because they knew what the Nets could offer. So they kind of got handcuffed there, but it just it, it just went poorly for them because they gave up all those picks for Russell Westbrook in the Chris Paul trade, and it just it just sours really quickly. Yeah, Houston's not probably in the least ideal spot in the NBA. I would the say only, the only thing they're doing at right, least they have a good college team. Yeah, the only thing they're doing right at least is that they're tanking and that they'll probably they have a good chance they could end up with like Kate Cunningham or Jalen Jalen Suggs. Yeah, sure. but then you could also you could also mention how if their pick falls out of the top four that it goes to Sam Presti. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, if that happens, that, if that happens, that that's just the icing on the cake. To be fair, we've seen teams that lose their best player happen to win the lottery, so. <laughs> Maybe, nah, great point. maybe Houston will great get point. gifted that. This is the same exact scenario. If you really think about it, this is the, the same Anthony Davis scenario. Super, superstar demands trade, wants out. He gets what he wants, goes to the team he wants. Then following summer, the lottery, that team gets – the team that traded him away gets the first pick. You're actually right, Keith. I, I witnessed actually, it. I was screwed by it, and it will probably happen to, again to some other unfortunate and actually, And actually in um the – Pelican scenario, they waited. They waited till the draft to trade Anthony Davis because they want because the NBA then, if they happened to give the lottery Lakers a top three pick that year too. Come on, bro, give me a break. But yeah, so uh, so the the Orlando Magic win the deadline. The Houston Rockets lose the deadline. Yep. Um, I think that it's time. I think we put it off enough. Time to get into. Sal's favorite part of the year, probably my favorite part of the year. Um, opening day is in two days, so we are going to do some predictions. But before that, we got to talk about Francisco and Dora real quick. Yeah, so uh, a lot of this offseason involved the Mets making some big headlines. They're once again in in the discussion now. Francisco and was offered 10 years, $325 million by Steve Cohen in the Mets. But apparently that's not good enough for him. He wants 12 years, 385. It's a little risky in my opinion if he doesn't take the 10 years for 325 and he walks away without a deal before opening day just simply because he may not live up to that or he could get hurt and get less money. But it's definitely a tough call. You know, I guess he's betting on himself. I guess he thinks he's in that upper tier of players. I I, I like Francisco Lindor. I think he's a very, very good player, but – I don't know if he's – I certainly don't think he's in that Mike Trout, Mookie Betts tier of getting close to $400 million. What do you guys think? If I was a Mets fan right now, man, let me tell you something. I would be pissed off because, yes, like you said, Francisco Lindo is a very good player. Um, 10 for 325 indicates that you're a very good player, uh, that you're a top five player in baseball, which I don't even think he's a top five player in baseball. He might be a top 10, maybe top 15 player in baseball. Um you know, those rankings get kind of iffy, though, when you try to go like that. But the point is, to me, he is not, like you said, Sal, he's not better than Mookie Betts. So why does he want more, a significant amount more than Mookie Betts? He wants – Mookie Betts got 350 I think, right? Mm-hmm. He wants $35 million more than Mookie Betts. I think that that's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
I think that this will end up with him taking the 10 for 325 because I don't think the Mets should extend themselves more than that. And I don't think that they will, considering that there's um, just a lot of shortstops to pick from next year. Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Javier Baez, if you like him. I don't like him, but, you know, <laughs> Javier Baez, uh, Francisco Lindor. They might go a little bit over 325, but I don't see them go much more than that. Yeah, if I was the Mets, I'd stand pat. Uh, I thought it was really, really nervy of Lindor to counter a best and final offer. It was, and you know, I don't, rem- I don't remember, I don't know last time like an extension negotiation has been like this public about like multiple offers. Like the Mets made an entry offer and then they upped it to this and it's their sort of best and final. And then we find out like almost hours within that Lindor proposed a 12 year deal in, in spite of them pretty much. It, I wouldn't pay him the money. I don't even know. I don't even know if I would have paid him the 300 million. Like I understand from the Mets perspective, you just went out and got this guy. You don't want him to just up and leave you after a year, but geez. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's just going to be awkward too. If he says, Nope, not taking the 10 years, 325 and plays out an entire season. Like it's just, and and, you know, again, he's going to go off to free agency. Like, I think it's just weird. Like I've never seen, like you said, Keith, I never seen this publicly of a negotiation just go back and forth this quick. And everyone knows he's like, if he doesn't take this 310 for 325, everybody knows it. And there's going to be so much pressure on Lindor, so much pressure on this team in general, just because of the, like, not to say that there's going to be tension, but there's definitely going to be some sort of elephant in the room the entire season. Like this guy, let's say he doesn't play as good. You know, he declined the 10 for 325. He should have taken it. You know, Mets maybe underperforming. You know, there's going to be a ton of questions. This could be something that looms over their head throughout this entire year. But I like, like, like you guys said, I think he definitely should take this 10 for 325. You don't want to risk getting hurt there. Like Joe said, there's going to be a very good shortstop class and again, very good player, but Certainly not top 10, like probably not a top 10 player, maybe borderline top 10, depends on how you rank him. But uh, it's just such a weird situation. And I, I really didn't expect this from him either. I thought he would definitely, you know, be open to an extension more than a fair offer by Steve Cohen and the Mets. And like Keith said, they should definitely stand pat because honestly they have leverage at this point. Yeah. Something underrated before we move on too is that think about it. We have fans back in the stands now and Let's say this guy's struggling a little bit and he didn't accept the money. How do you think Mets fans are going to react? Mm-hmm. He's going to he is going to get booed on the field time and time again. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to have a bad season or anything, but he is definitely putting a lot of pressure on himself, like you said. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see where this goes in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I think we should move on now. We got our prediction, just kind of like we did for basketball. So we're going to be predicting the MVPs, the Cy Youngs, the coaches of the year, or the managers of the year, sorry, and the rookie of the years. So we'll start with rookie of the years, uh, very diverse class. Sal, you were saying it before. There's so many options to choose from. Um, whoever wants to go first, give me your AL and NL rookie of the years. So I get all right. So I guess I'm going so, first. Nobody, nobody else wants to say anything. Well, you you're the one that's talking about how crazy this this class is. So you 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 are in the right to go first. He's absolutely right. And 
I'll start off with the NL. I'll go with my guy, Ian Anderson. This guy was lights out down the stretch of last year. Absolute dynamite in the playoffs. He's on a very good team. Set right in the middle of that Braves rotation, who I think is going to be very, very good. It's underrated right now, in my opinion. I just love the guy. Throws heat. Got some good off-speed stuff. Very young. Ton of potential. The Braves were very patient with him in his minor league development, and for good reason. And it looks like it's certainly paying off. I think he's ahead of the curve. Uh, and like I said, just them being patient with him, that he's in a better spot now as a rookie than I think most rookie pitchers are. So I think I'm going to go with Ian Anderson. What about the AL, so? AL, all right. So uh, this is my probably my biggest surprise pick out of all these awards. Not taking a flashy name like Jared Kalenic or Wander Franco or Randy Rosarena, guys like that. I'm going with Bobby Dalbeck of the Boston Red Sox. This is a guy who is absolutely tearing it up in spring training right now. He has seven home runs. I'm pretty sure he leads all of baseball in home runs in spring training. And many people forget this too. Last year, he only played 23 games, eight home runs, 900 OPS. And he's right in the middle of that Boston lineup who I think still a good lineup without, you know, and we all know they lost Mookie Betts. We'll continue to say this for the rest of Mookie Betts' contract, but Bobby Dalback in that pretty good Boston lineup. I just think Boston as a whole, I think they're going to be a little better than they were last year. Hate to say it, Yankee fan, but I just think Boston will be a little bit more competitive than they were. And, you know, Bobby Dalback, he's a guy to definitely watch out for under the radar, going to be playing every day. So look out for him. Keith, what you got? So for the, I'll go with my AL MVP, my AL rookie of the year first. And Sal just gave you his AL rookie of the year. I think Ryan Mountcastle is going to win rookie of the year. Ryan Mountcastle hit 340 last year when he played for the Orioles. This guy has shown that he can hit the ball. He has a little bit of power. I don't remember how many home runs he hit. But the 60-game season last year, as many games as he played, he showed that he belongs and he looks like the first piece of a very good young Orioles team to come. So I think he's going to win AL Rookie of the Year. And then for the NL Rookie of the Year, I'm picking the best guy on the worst team in baseball, Key Brian Hayes. We talk, we see how Mike Trout can win MVP after MVP on the worst team in the AL. So why can't Key Brian Hayes win Rookie of the Year on the worst team in the NL? Somebody's got somebody's got to hit the ball. Somebody's got to score the runs. Might as well be Key Brian Hayes. Yeah, Keith, uh, I'll um, I'll piggyback off that because I like Key Brian Hayes a lot. Um, I was going to go with Sixto Sanchez, but he did get sent to the alternate site uh, for the Marlins. And I don't know. He didn't get a lot of strikeouts last year. So I was kind of just like iffy about him on the whole. So I also am picking Cabrian Hayes. Uh, I'll throw out a couple stats for you. Um, he batted 375 last year, right? And 85 at bats. And then in spring this year, he's batting 430. So this guy can hit. Like you said, someone needs to hit for the Pirates. It's going to be him. Um, and then for the AL. Keith, I like Ryan Mountcastle also, but you guys both got pretty cute with these picks. Um, and I'm going to round out the AL East trio, and I'll go Randy Rosarena. Um, every writer is picking this guy to win the Rookie of the Year, which, I mean, we all – right now there's so much tension here because we know I'm what just, he did just, last what, – what's just, up? For the people, no one can see what's happening. Right now, as Joe says that, me and Sal just get the looks on our faces as we look at each other in this in, in the call. And 
Sal earlier said no one better pick Randy Rosarena, and Joe just didn't fucking care. Yeah, well, I mean, what do what do you want me to do, bro? You guys got cute. I was gonna get cute. I was gonna pick Ryan Mountcastle, but I'm going with a Rosarena. You know what? We don't need to talk about it anymore. Let's move on. So next we got <laughs> next we got manager of the year. Uh and you know what? Sal's still a little bit uh, up in the air right there. So, Keith, you, you give us your manager of the year first. Okay. So, on the AL end, I'm going to take Bob Melvin, the manager of the Oakland Athletics. I think that Bob Melvin has a chance to really take this team, win the division, and surprise a lot of people. The Athletics are a team that's always slept on, and I think that if they win the division, they have a really good year again, that there's no reason they shouldn't. he shouldn't be a – Pick for manager year, and in my opinion, the winner. And of course, you guys knew I wasn't going to get out of the award oh, predictions God. without at least one mention of this team. My NL manager of the year is Chase Tingler of the San Diego Padres. Now, they're in the division with the Dodgers. If this team somehow wins this division, he should be a shoe in for the award. If they somehow have a better year than the Padres, that that Dodgers. He should. I, I personally, if if both teams are healthy and they're better, why not? I think there's a chance that they win the division just because of World Series hangover type thing. And I think that the Padres are good enough to win 100 games. Not saying it's gonna happen, but I could see it. And then in that case, Jace Tingler would definitely be up there for Manager of the Year. Sal, what do you got? My AL Manager of the Year. I'm going with Charlie Montoya. Of the Toronto Blue Jays. I was thinking about him. I think the Blue Jays, you know, everyone's high on this team. The lineup, certainly for good reason. Uh, I think that lineup is definitely good enough to power the, the Blue Jays into postseason contention. Certainly think they more, I think most likely they should be a wild card team. Uh, I just like the upside there. People are suspect about their pitching, but I think, you know, that lineup, I think their pitching might just be a, just good enough to get them in maybe as the second wild card, but. This would be. This might even be a, as big of a surprise, if not bigger, as my AL Rookie of the Year. My NL Manager of the Year is Luis Rojas of the New York Mets, and it's a little bit similar to what Keith said. If the Mets somehow, some way, win the NL East over the Atlanta Braves, this guy is going to win the NL Manager of the Year. And even still, a lot of people think the Mets are going to be an NL Wild Card team. I think so as well. This Mets team wins over 90 games is a team that was horrible last year, did not make the expanded postseason with 16 teams. He gets them as a top five team in the NL. Definitely in consideration for NL manager of the year. Uh, you guys can't wait. I don't know. No one can see this, but I'm assuming Joe has Luis Rojas. I have, Rojas Luis, as I have his... Luis Rojas as my manager of the year also. And uh, I don't want to hear uh, – Yankee fan bias anymore because we got two Yankee fans here who just both picked the the Mets manager as manager of the year. So I don't think Luis Ross is a great manager by any means, but I think that if they win enough games this year, I think that he'll he'll definitely win the award. Um, I think last year they were really on the cusp of being a very good offensive team. And I think that this year it'll definitely, with the addition of Lindor, and I think that Pete Alonso might go back to his – 2019 ways so I think that offense paired with their you know depth at, at uh, starting pitcher now I think that they can they can win a lot of games 
Uh, and then AL Manager of the Year, it almost pains me as much to say this because I hate this team. Hate the White Sox. I'm going to go with Tony LaRusso as the Manager of the Year. In the AL, they're going to be one of the best teams in the AL, and I think that none of us picked uh, Aaron Boone just because we all hate him. Uh, but I think that he's also up there just because the Yankees can win 100-plus games. But I think that – you know, the White Sox are going to be a very good team. So I think that he's a, he's a good pick for manager of the year. Yeah. All right. Um, let me wait. Let me just give my. So I was also leaning a little bit on Tony LaRusso, but the one thing is when he first took this job with the White Sox, a lot of people in the media were very angry with him because they put him in the Hall of Fame already. And they were like, oh, we thought this guy's crew was over. Why did we put him in the Hall of Fame? So. I think the media might be a little mad at him. He might not get the, the votes he deserves. And he does have those outside of baseball issues that might not make him a uh, very nice pick to uh, be the manager of the year. It's a good point. That's a, that's a fair point there. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. Now we're going to go to Cy Young. Uh, I'll, I'll go first because I haven't went first yet. So let's get this out of the way, right? I know Cy Young It's probably going to be Jacob deGrom. Right. Uh, I have Jacob deGrom as my NL Cy Young winner, but I like these, like, you know, some of these other ones, like you try to get cute, pick the other guys. I legitimately, I mean, I'm sure you guys will give your two. I legitimately cannot find another guy that I like to win the Cy Young this year for the NL, just because I'm not high on Trevor Bauer. Keith, I know you're not high on Trevor Bauer either. Not high on Walker Bueller. I mean, these guys are good. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I feel like they're not, I don't know. I, they're just not my thing. So Blake Snell, you Darvish, the same deal. Luis Castillo was picked by a writer. No, thank you. So I'm going with Jacob DeGrom. You guys can give your cue picks. And then for the AL Cy Young, we all love Garrett Cole. I'm going to give uh, a little bit of a sleeper here. I'm going to go Lucas Giolito. And I think that Lucas Giolito reminds me a lot of what Shane Bieber was last year. Uh, before last year, Shane Bieber was a strikeout pitcher. And he got his ERA down last year and ultimately he won the Cy Young for it I think that Lucas Giolito could be in the same boat this year I guess I'm going next uh this time not cute Joe I also have uh Jacob DeGrom winning the NL Cy Young it's absolutely unbelievable to me how this guy increases his velocity every single year by a drastic amount I mean the guy was pumping 102 last year and this, I mean, this guy, like maybe three, four years ago, was topping out at 97. And if he's able to sustain that for a 162 game season, the, the awards is because I think, you know, the 60 game season, that might be partly why he didn't win the Cy Young is just because guys like Trevor Bauer and Corbin Burns and those guys of the world had very good short runs. Not to say that, you know, those guys aren't good pitchers. Pick Trevor Bauer to be my fantasy team. So I hope he does good. But I, I, I again, I just think the longevity. In a long season like this, it's Jacob DeGrom's award to lose. But for AL Cy Young, going with my guy, Garrett Cole. This guy is due for a Cy Young. He should have won in 2019. He's pitching for the New York Yankees. They're going to win a ton of games. He's going to, he's going to win a ton of games. I think he was a little bit unlucky last year with that fly ball rate and those home runs going at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, he's going to give up a, quite a few home runs, but he's going to strike a ton of guys out. He's going to get a lot of wins. That ERA is going to probably be under three. It's a safe pick, but I'm going with Garrett Cole. He deserves his first Cy Young. 
You know what, Keith, before you go, I'm just going to say, sell fair two picks because those are the two best pitchers in baseball. So and I don't think it's, it's close. Well, I mean, Shane Bieber's up there, but, you know. Yeah. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah, and um, see, the issue here is, like, I don't know if I should even mention my picks because Sal had the same two as me. <laughs> I had Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole. New York, I thought New York, about Luke. I thought about Lucas Giolito. I thought about Shane Bieber, but it's like Garrett Cole, the Yankees only throw 200 innings this year. Gonna see a full 162 games of the Yankees this year. And Garrett Cole has all the tools to be the best pitcher in the American League. Jacob deGrom is Jacob deGrom. Like you said, Joe, the only guy I could see giving him a run for his money is maybe Walker Bueller because he's gonna be going against twos this year, not ones. So uh, I I do think that's the only guy that could give him a run, but uh, no. It the one thing that the one thing that runs through New York right now is Saw Young caliber pitching. I say three's I gotta, actually he's a three. He'll be yeah, a three. Oh, are they, yeah, Curry Charles. I got a question Thank for you guys. All right, so this is gonna segue us into the MVP. What do you think is more like, or what do you think is more of a short thing, Degrom winning the Saw Young or Trout winning the MVP? You think I just I, I kind of feel like there's there's more guys that could be in the running for AL MVP rather than the yeah. guys that are in the running I'd for say, I'd say the, I would say DeGrom too. Okay. Like, you can have you can have a hitter just have an absolutely crazy year. Yeah. We we and uh Mike Trout hasn't been crystal clean. He's gotten hurt a few times. He missed he missed out on one MVP. I think it was what year was that? Aaron Judge's rookie season. I can't think of the year, whatever year it was. 2017. 2017. It he was really up there to win MVP and he got he got hurt. And um that's really why Altuve won it that year. I think if Mike Trout was healthy, he probably would have won it, even though we think that Altuve should have won it anyway. But Mike Trout winning MVP, there are guys that can give him a run for his money. So that's really all it is. Yeah, I'm a I'm a the, this is last but not least. We're going to go with the MVP here. And I think that this is going to be the most fun one, obviously, because it's the best award. But I think that there's also a lot of ways that we could go with this. So, Keith, you haven't won first yet. How about you go first? All right. So, as I say, my last statement, I have Mike Trout winning AL MVP because he's Mike Trout. And he is the best player in baseball. So, sure. Uh, you can't go wrong picking Mike Trout. And for the NL, I really thought this man had a chance to win it last year. I'm going Mookie Betts to win MVP. Keith picks the two best players in baseball. Sal, what you got? NL MVP. I'm going with Ronald Acuna Jr. This guy plays on one of the best teams in baseball. He's a 40-40 threat. Good average, good OPS. There's He's a five-tool player. And this guy might very well be the best player in baseball down the road. Uh Sky's the limit for him. Uh, we Obviously, he's had MVP caliber seasons in the past, but I think, you know, he's a little more mature now. So I'm going with Ronald Acuna Jr. This guy can do it all. And I, I really – I just I just think he has MVP written all over him. For 10 mil a year, too. Yeah, that, that yeah, best contract in baseball, by the way. And for AL MVP, it's very easy to pick Mike Trout, but I didn't do it. You know, normally I would – I do it almost every year, but this year, this is a little bit more of a hope. This guy's been knocking on the door the last couple of years. I'm going with DJ LeMayhew. 
of the New York Yankees. Guy was top three and top five the past two years, and I think he finally gets it done. The Yankees, hopefully they'll have the best record in the AL. That might hopefully have something to do with the votes. I know there's a lot of Yankee bias, but I think LeMay was a guy who you really can't hate. It's going to hit over 300 in Yankee Stadium. Definitely have over 20 home runs, good amount of RBIs. If he has 1,000 OPS again, he's definitely going to be right up there once again. So I'm going to go with the guy who's been right knocking on the door, DJ LeMahieu. Sal, um, so this is where the uh, – I guess this is where the Yankee bias comes in just a little bit because – I got another Yankee as my MVP. Uh, I'm sure that you guys know who I'm going right now. So I, I'm going to go with Aaron Judge. Like, I guess like in Sal's case, it's more of a hope. Because uh, I think that Mike Trout's probably going to win the award. But if Aaron Judge stays healthy, right, and we've been saying this for three years now, if he stays healthy, he has an MVP waiting for him. Because this guy can hit over 50 home runs. He could drive in over 100 guys. The Yankees are going to win. They can win close to 100 games, probably even more. And in my personal opinion, I feel like DJ, just because, I don't know, just because he doesn't have that flair, I don't think he can ever win the MVP because he got top five the past couple of years, right? But I just, I, I feel like just no one talks about him when he's doing, you know, as good as he's doing. So I'm going to go on Aaron Judge because that's the guy that is the face of the Yankees. And if he stays healthy, he's going to hit a bunch of home runs, drive in a bunch of guys who are going to win a bunch of games. NL side, um, I wanted to go with a bounce back candidate and Christian Yelich, but neither of you guys mentioned Juan Soto. So I want to pick Juan Soto for MVP in the NL. Um, I think that this guy is probably the best hitter in baseball. And what is he, 22 years old right now? I think he's 22 years old. It's just whenever he comes up to the plate, I feel like he's getting a hit, getting on base, some any type of way. Um, I don't have his numbers on me right now, but I know his numbers last year were absolutely absurd, and I don't see any reason for him to get any worse. So uh, Juan Soto for an MVP. Yeah, I mean, so did no, none of us picked the reigning NL MVP. Uh, listen, I'm I'm a big Freddie Freeman fan, and I'm even more of a fan this year just because he's on my fantasy team. So uh, if Freddie, Freeman wants, have, Freddie Freeman wants it, you to like win. a lot of guys on your fantasy team. <laughs> if he wants to win another MVP, I, I certainly will not be disappointed or angry about it. I think it's tough for first basemen to win MVPs in general. I mean, I know last year two first basemen won, but I think over a full season – defense starts to you know you, you take that more into account kind of and I'm not saying that a first baseman can't win it because obviously they can but I just feel like I don't know especially Jose Brayu I don't think that he's going to replicate those numbers over a full season Freddie Freeman definitely can um but there's just a lot of attractive guys in the NL you know uh there, there's a lot of guys that you could choose from we didn't even mention you know, I know you guys aren't biggest fans, but we didn't even mention Fernando Tatis. Um, I, I'm a very big fan of Fernando Wilson. Tatis. Don't, I mean, don't, I don't, I don't, don't hate get it twisted. I, I, just have, I just have to question his health because he hasn't played a full season in the MLB yet. Yeah, that's true. I don't hate Fernando Tatis. I think he's very good. It's just the MLB posts about him every <laughs> five Joe, it's, Joe, it, it, he'll tag He'll tag from third base to home on a fly ball, and they'll post it. it it's, it's unbelievable. Well, yeah, but if it's to the shortstop, it's good, Sal. Oh, my God, enough. 
Um, no, but Joe, I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, I did think about picking Manny Machado as a sleeper to win MVP. I think, I think with that lineup, I think he can do some real damage. I think he could win MVP, but not a sure thing at by any means. So not even gonna make him my pick. Another guy, another guy is Bryce Harper too, sleeper. Lo- Again, love Bryce Harper. Won him. I still want to be Yankee. So my sleeper MVP for the NL would have been Corey Seager. See, like there's so many guys that you could just choose from. I I just think you know, like there's a guy who doesn't get him enough focus in that Dodgers lineup. People might pitch around bets or the Bellingers or guys like that, and you know Corey Seager's just gonna reap in the rewards. And he's in a contract year, by the way. Yeah, that's gonna be a big deal. I mean. We got baseball in two days, guys. We got baseball in two days. Um, Basketball, you know, we're getting closer to the playoffs. Hopefully, uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis come back, fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming to an end in the tournament next week. But really, the the focus is going to go on baseball now. So, uh, we're all really excited for that. We'll be back next week with some opening day news, with, you know, our reactions from the first weekend some more basketball stuff, NCAA stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed this show. I think this is one of the most fun that we've ever done, honestly. So talk to you guys next episode too. Yeah, probably. (laughs) 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 All right. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.